speak to us your word, through your word, through the words that you've given me, um, and help us to hear what you would have us to hear, and live the way you would have us live. In Jesus' name, amen. So the hymn we just sang um, expressed sort of indirectly a little concern that sometimes when we come together to worship, we might become so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. And so that hymn was a little bit of a prayer about let's not forget that when we come to church and we feel great about it, and, you know, we it's so nice to be with our Christian family and it's great to sing our hymns to God. Let's not forget that there's a world in need around us and we need to, to reach out. And there are actually Christians nowadays who will say, Christians who will say, worship is a waste of time. They say that when we focus too much on loving the Lord our God, it distracts us from loving our neighbors as ourselves. Look at this mess, they say. The world is in a mess. Get out of your churches and help. What do you guys think about that? Pray. Okay, we are, we are going to talk about prayer. Uh, we're going to back up a little bit first, though. This is the final sermon in our series, In Spirit and in Truth, um, about worship and mission in the church. And we have been, up until this point, we've been looking at worship through the story of the Samaritan woman, and we've concluded that story. Last week, we've, we wrapped that story up as far as we know it. Obviously, her story went on from there. We just don't know the rest of it. Um, but we saw, through her story, that to worship in the spirit and in truth means to participate in the life of the Trinity in a relationship with the Trinity of delight. God delighting in us, and us delighting in God. And last week we talked about how if we are engaging in that kind of worship, it will, it has to, lead to an overflow of God's love in our heart that fuels mission. And we were specifically talking about mission being kind of introducing people to Jesus. We saw that the results for the Samaritan woman of being invited by Jesus to be a true worshiper was actually not to just love God and forget her neighbors, but the result of being invited to worship was actually to go to her neighbors, who probably had not ever been very loving to her, and love them as herself by introducing them to Jesus too. That was the logical results for her of meeting Jesus. Now she wanted all her neighbors to meet Jesus too. So part of how we worship, part of how we participate in the life of the Trinity is to join Jesus in seeking more worshipers for the Father from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. True worship, as we said last week, gives us purpose and it gives us community. It doesn't, for long, allow us to remain disconnected from our neighbors. But, just like if you, for a really long time, persist in it's just me and Jesus, and you never come together with other followers of Jesus in worship, that's not complete worship. Worship is also not really complete if 
we're all coming together as a community and we're worshiping God and we're singing songs together and we're filling up our minds with spiritual thoughts, that's great and that's a start, but it isn't full, fulfilled, complete worship if we're not then taking the good news of God practically in real hands-on, real world, real life, practical ways and sharing it with the world around it in accordance of Jesus' own explanation of the good news. So Jesus, when he went to his hometown of Nazareth, the one sermon that he preached there, he basically quoted a passage in Isaiah and he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. So there's the Trinity again, the spirit, the father and Jesus because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All of this has a spiritual impact on our, on our spirits, but it also has a real-world impact in the world around us. And so today, all of our scripture passages and a lot of our songs have been expressions of two prayers. We call the, the prayer that we pray every Sunday at the beginning of the service the Lord's Prayer. But there are actually two Lord's Prayers. The other one is the passage that Paul read and that Barb talked about from John 17. One prayer is the prayer that Jesus taught us, and one prayer is the prayer that Jesus prayed for us. And they both are the Lord's prayers. They both help us bring heaven to earth in all the time lived out worship. The prayer that Jesus prayed for us in John 17 is his request to the Father to enable us to remain connected to the Trinity and each other so that we can fulfill the good news in the world, so that we can share the name of Jesus so that God is glorified through God's kingdom coming and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is the same, is, it's us praying the same thing for ourselves, praying the will of God. And it's actually also kind of a diagram of how in true worship, heaven transforms earth. It starts in recognition of who God is. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We could do, and we, maybe we will like next year or something, do an entire sermon series just on prayer and look into this a little deeper. But it's really important to recognize who God is when we start to pray. And that in itself will lead us into worship because God is worthy of our worship. So that's where prayer starts then it affirms that we agree with God's will. We agree with his plan for us and for our world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom has been turned over in this world to other forces that oppose God, and we see it every day, and we know that God's will is not always done, but in this prayer and in our lives of worship, we are agreeing with God, but really your king, God, you are the king, and we are going to, as you enable us, we are going to do what we need to do as you've gifted us in the world to bring your kingdom here.
this is the gospel. This is the good news. It's not just where I'm going to end up when I die. This isn't just the waiting room right here. This is the place that God wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done, which is what he created this place for in the first place. This is the result of true worship. Worship fulfills the desire of God's heart, which is our love. And through worship, God fulfills the desires of our hearts with himself. And the evidence of true worship is pockets of seeing God's kingdom coming and God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in worship, we get to know the heart of God, and it becomes our heart. And then we will want to do what God would do here in the world. The next part of the prayer is basically asking for God's help to answer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're praying this because we're expecting that God is going to accomplish this stuff through us. So we're asking for help. And this, the way that God establishes his kingdom on earth as in heaven is both physically and spiritually for ourselves and for others. So if we love God with our whole selves, you know, Jesus says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's your intellect, your emotions, your body, your spirit, everything, right? So if that's how we're supposed to love God, then it kind of makes sense that God's kingdom must be fulfilled in all of those aspects too. Why would we leave one of them out? Why would God leave one of them out? So our bodies and our spirits are important, and God will fulfill his kingdom in the physical and the spiritual aspects of human life. And so that's why we ask, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us what we physically need. Remember, actually, we've seen in the story of the Samaritan woman that the physical needs were really important, and they were actually kind of the doorways to get to the spiritual needs. Though Jesus was thirsty and tired, the woman was spiritually thirsty. Jesus was hungry so that some disciples went to get lunch. There's all these little pictures of how the physical part is really important too. Jesus affirmed the material aspect of our humanness by becoming materially, physically, really human. And he still has a body. It's a glorified body, but he still has a body now in heaven. He cares about our physical needs, so give us this day our daily bread. And then, if we're bringing God's kingdom, we're going to care about other people's needs for daily bread. Right? Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord sent me to bring good news to the poor. We will care about that, too. Then we're asking him for help spiritually. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Fulfill the good news of reconciliation and freedom in us, and through us. The good news of Jesus Christ, remember we've talked about this, we talked about this the whole time we were going through Galatians, it is reconciliation and freedom. The good news of Jesus is reconciliation to God, to each other, to creation within ourselves. 
one of these days I'm going to just ask you, because <laughs> we, we've said it a, a bunch of times, and it is freedom, kind of on the other side, it's freedom from idolatry, it's freedom from strife, it's freedom from addiction, and it's freedom from pride. All of these things are kind of all wrapped in to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and they are part of how we bring the good news into the world through worship. And then the final request in this prayer of Jesus is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because here's the thing. As we worship God, we will be compelled to bring his kingdom. But there are forces entrenched here that don't want God's kingdom to come and don't want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we will either be discouraged by those forces or we will be tempted by those forces. And so we have to remember to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is what Jesus is doing in John 17. He's kind of expanding on this last part of the prayer. He's affirming all the pieces that he taught us, but he's really kind of focusing in on this part because here's the thing. The greatest evil that could befall the true worshiping church, the true people of God, that would hinder God's kingdom, that would keep God's will from being done, is if we lose our unity with the Trinity and each other. I think we know this because we're seeing all kinds of division all over the place in our nation, but also in our churches. And I think when Christians have a legitimate concern that, you know, that we need to care for the needs of the world around us, but take worship out of that equation. That's how we fall apart. Because if we're not united to the Trinity, so we're not getting God's heart and seeing how God wants us to minister to the needs of the world around us, we're just going to come up with our own ideas. And everybody's going to have a different idea. And we're not already united in Christ. But when we step together into the life of God, we discipline ourselves and submit ourselves to the joyful humility that comes from spirit and truth worship and that comes from the hard work of being in community with other people who are trying to worship in spirit and in truth. That is where God's power works. But it's also the part that the enemy is going to attack the hardest. It is where we are in the greatest danger of temptation. And so Jesus prays this prayer. And it's important and interesting to note that he prays this prayer for the unity of his people right before he gets hung up on a cross, tortured and hung up on a cross, and dies for our sin, for actually all the disunity that has followed that went before and has followed. He knew in the short term that that event, his being crucified, could make his disciples lose their faith. It kind of did. 
for a little bit. He knew it could make them lose their nerve. He knew it could make them lose their unity. They did. They all run away. A bunch of them end up in an upper room afterwards, later, but they, they disperse. They run away from him, and they run away from each other. They lose their unity, and their lived-out worship. And he also knew, Jesus also knew, that the same thing could happen to us when we face hard times, when it doesn't feel like God is really there, when we're struggling in ourselves or our family isn't having a good time or there's or somebody's really sick or there's a pandemic and we all have to wear masks and we can't have lunch together anymore. And all of these things make it really hard to be united and Jesus knows that. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus prayed about it, and he's still praying for us. Because there is evil in the world, and encounters with us with it tempt us. They tempt us either to do evil ourselves, or they tempt it, us to give up the good that we're doing because we're discouraged, or we're tired, or we're fearful, or it's hard, or um, other people are being jerks, or whatever. They tempt us away from unity. And Jesus prays for us right along the lines of the prayer that he taught us to pray to with the intent of keeping us strong against the temptation and with the intent of delivering us from evil. Because Jesus has found the worshipers that his father seeks. In verse 6 he says about his disciples, but I believe this is also about us. I have revealed to you I have revealed you to those whom you, the Father, gave me out of the world. Jesus found us for the Father, just like he found the Samaritan woman, just like he found all of those Samaritans. He found us for the Father, and the Father gave us to Jesus. In worship, we are the gift that keeps on giving. The whole Trinity is giving us to all of the parts of the Trinity and to the world. We're actually the Trinity's gift to the world, you guys. I don't know if you feel like that. I don't, usually. Um, but this is true. This is the reality. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus says, Now they, the people, the worshipers that Jesus has found for the Father and the Father has given to Jesus, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Jesus gave us the words, but Jesus himself is the word. When we accept him, the truth, we are accepting God's kingship. We are agreeing with, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is praying here for us to remain faithful in this. Faithful in our unity with God and his will. To deliver us from evil. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Oneness with God and oneness with each other is how we remain strong in the face of temptation and evil. So that we can continue to bring the very good news of God's kingdom and God's will to earth. It all comes down to worship. True worship causes us to know who 
God is. To know we can trust him to fulfill our physical needs so we can, in his name, fulfill the physical needs of others. True worship causes us to know who God is, to know we can trust him to help us forgive as we've been forgiven. That takes trust. Forgiving somebody takes trust. And Jesus is the only one who can give us that level of trust and who is trustworthy enough to hand over the debts that other people have against us as he has forgiven the debts that we have against him and others. And through that forgiveness, we can trust God to help us engage of acts of reconciliation and restoration in the lives of people around us. When we are able to forgive as we've been forgiven, then we can help bring that supernatural forgiveness to the world around us. The problem with worship is not being so heavenly-minded we're no earthly good. If that's what we're being, then we're not truly worshiping in the spirit and in truth. We're engaging in something else. It might be a feel-good exercise. It might be tradition. It might be idolatry of something that's not... God, whatever it is, it isn't worship of the Father in the Spirit and in truth if our worship is not causing us to go into the world with God's kingdom. The problem with worship is when we're not doing it. God will change the world through true worshipers, through worshipers like us. Central Baptist Church. We're a tiny little church in a really hard time, and God can change the world through us as we worship him in the spirit and in truth. And if you don't believe that God can use insignificant people, I'm going to read you a quick story. This is from a book that I'm reading called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Keith Reed. <laughs> we, we may... You may encounter this book here again. Um, but today I'm just going to read this story. It says, Pete says, In a quiet Umbrian town many years ago, a wealthy lawyer heard reports of a 25-year-old ex-soldier called Giovanni who had recently given everything he owned to the poor. Was he mad, or had he really experienced some kind of epiphany? Everyone in the town had their own opinion. Determining to find out for himself, Bernard of Quintavalle invited Giovanni to stay the night and stationed himself to spy on his guest through a secret peephole. That's <laughs> sketchy, yes. Um, however, as the house fell silent, he watched in amazement as Giovanni sprang from his bed, knelt down, and began to repeat a single simple phrase over and over again. My God and my all. My God and my all. Tears ran down his cheeks. My God and my all. Bernard of Quintavalle was so inspired by Giovanni's self-evident, all-consuming love for the Lord that he followed his example, giving away his wealth and becoming the young man's first disciple. Within a year, there were 11 of them. Within a decade, there were more than 5,000. And within 20 years, the course of European history had been realigned by the joyous life and simple teaching of oh, this was Francis of Assisi.
this was a revolution founded not on domination, but on adoration. It's worship in the spirit and in truth that will change the world, that will heal the rifts. Because true worship is not an excuse to look away from the needs of the world. True worship is not a waste of time. True worship in the spirit and in truth is how we fulfill the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and the prayer that Jesus is still praying for us to the Father. Because worship unites us to the heart of God in love for the world and makes us willing to sacrifice anything, just like Jesus was willing, to bring God's kingdom of love, provision, reconciliation, and freedom. Because true worship unites us to each other, diverse and multi-gifted people, in doing the work together in Jesus' name that he prayed for. Jesus is still praying for us. So let's agree with his prayer. He said and says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amen, Lord Jesus.